don't don't tell this secret to the cog, but we're still working on trying to get uh, bike racks on the cog. Oh, it's just going to yeah. really yes. o- open up oh. more more ways, and, and you know it's going to be money in the bank for them too. So take that palisade plunge. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Stand Up Pedal Action. All right, everybody. Welcome back to round two with Corey Sutella. Uh, If you haven't heard the first half of this interview, you should go find it wherever you get your podcasts. You can find the first half of the interview in the back catalog of Supa, where we get to hear about how you should and should not reset your shoulder after terrible accidents, uh, how you should and should not carry a bike while trying to do a little rock climbing and some other adventures about what took Corey from the wilds of Canada here to Colorado Springs. So I don't know if it was actually that wild. It might've been pretty pedestrian. It was a bit of a journey. All right, there we go. (laughs) Well, so what we wanted to talk about in the second half of the interview is more of how many people might know of your work, even if they don't know you personally. Mm -hmm. And that's the work that Medicine Wheel Trail Advocates, that is the whole name, right? Yep, Medicine Wheel Trail Advocates. Yep. What you guys do here in the Springs. And to set this up a little bit, I'm just going to say for a second that this has been an interesting journey for me as a cyclist because I came to Colorado Springs almost 20 years ago, started riding here almost immediately. And at the time, it was much more of that kind of wild and woolly, we do what we want. We're just out on other people's hiking trails You don't really tell anybody else, yeah, it was a community thing, but it was your friends doing it. And then all of a sudden, people started building trail and closing trail. And wait a minute, what's going on here? And there, I say that to highlight that there are sometimes individuals who don't see progress as positive. Right. Not to start us off on a bad foot, but I'm just (laughs) going to put that out there as a sort of a note to say how we see how we use our land can be a pretty wide and varied thing. And I would love to talk some of that through with you about how complex the decisions are that go into building trail. Yeah, boy, (laughs) that's a big question. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I think, you know, decisions, so we're, we're a mountain bike trail building organization. Our mission is that we're mountain bikers who build, share, and protect inspiring trail experiences. Um, and for shorthand, I say we're a mountain bike trail building group. But really, we are deeply involved in land use discussions, uh, public land, especially at the uh, city parks level, um, but also county. Um, U.S. Forest Service is, is a major player, obviously, in this region. Um, do We do work on utilities land and... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the state park. So really there's, there's a whole range of public land managers that we deal with. And it's really, you know, there's the, the technical aspect of, of building trails, but we always talk about the trail iceberg. So you see the tip of the iceberg when you show up for a trail work day, the amount of work that goes into the creating the conditions so that we can show up and big and dig some dirt is, is an enormous amount of work. Yeah. So let's talk through that because Many riders, even those who don't quite abide by no dig, no ride and just ride on their own, you know, you'll show up and you have one of two attitudes, either, oh man, I like that trail. Why do they close it? Or, hey, sweet jump that magically fell out of the sky. And that's all they know. Mm -hmm. So why don't you walk us through in general, 
what has to happen, especially in a city like Colorado Springs with so many different uh, authorities and types of landholders that we've got to work with? Yeah, so so that's one part of it. There's there's this huge range of land managers, and I think the other sort of context for the discussion is the the rapid increase in population of our community. Mm-hmm. So people are moving here, and that's happening at the same time as increased interest in mountain bikes and trail use, and all of that was magnified by COVID. So um, the the demands or the interest in trails is just through the roof, and there are all these land managers that are trying to, to balance all their constraints and, and manage the land properly. Um, one thing that's really important for us as riders to remember is, you know, we are, you know, we are completely passionate about our trails and that's totally appropriate. And it's, you know, it's the thing that keeps us sane and it like connects us in so many ways and trails are so important to all of us, but mountain bikers are just one user group. In, in a whole spectrum of users that, in, you know, includes the bird watchers and the equestrians and yeah. you know, even, even some of the smaller numbers, there are uh, important user groups that we, we, these are public spaces. They're not just our spaces, right? So mm-hmm. we have to share with, with those other users. And then the whole other side of that spectrum is the conservation side. Um, there are legal requirements that land managers have related to flora and fauna um, and, and very strong conservation values in the community. And I, I, I have those values also. I think, you know, one of the reasons I love mountain biking is because of where it takes me into the wild experiences I can have. And the way I feel as a person in this modern technology, technology world to be out in nature and, and connecting with nature. Um, that, that experience is, is super important to all of us. Uh, and we have to remember that we, we don't own it and we, we would like that experience to be available for us in the future and for future generations. Yeah. So usually I, I go into the, some of these public meetings and I'm advocating hard for recreational use and specifically mountain biking is, is our very top priority. Uh, but to be able to recognize the compromises that do need to be made on, on public lands in order that those experiences can be available for the future, it's, it's super important. It's, it's how we have to be as people, you know, we, it's, it's not private property or, or our own land. We, we have to work with others. Yeah. So one of the things I think a lot of people might not catch about some of the efforts that you guys put in is how long some of these projects run before the shovel ever hits the dirt. Yeah. Like what would be some of the like if you can give an example well the best example is the lake moraine trail yeah that's so for, what i was thinking for, of for years we called it the missing link and it's a connection basically it uh, connects bar trail from just below bar camp across pike's peak across, across the face of pike's peak across the cog railway underneath lake moraine and then it drops into jones park bear creek captain jack's area um so that trail i think we opened it in 2017 and that was the result of 20 years of work 20 yeah that that trail that connection it's like four and a half miles and it's you know it's tricky to get to right you mm-hmm. you have to either come access it from the the bar trail side or or from Cheyenne Canyon but uh, it's out there um, at the time when Medicine Wheel is before I was around was became interested in that and it was it was really Harry Hamill and Jim Schwerin who recognized that opportunity looking at maps um, 
there was no process for Colorado Springs utilities to consider recreation on utilities land. The process didn't exist. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, the approach that I think it was, it was Jim who basically said, okay, well, I'm going to go get on parks board. And he, he got on the city parks board and he began lobbying with city council and um, basically did a bunch of work to even get to the point where utilities was, was able to say, yeah, there's desire and, and it's appropriate for us to have recreation on some of these lands. Now, what does that look like? So there was a public process that um, resulted in showing that connection on the map. Mm -hmm. um, but then, yeah, so what goes into the 20 years? I mean, one of the things that, that took a real long time was we were close with all the approvals in like 2012 and then the greenback cutthroat trout the endangered fish in, in Jones Park yep. put a real damper on that. Like basically it, because of federal, uh, federal regulations around uh, the threatened species, we were not allowed to make that connection because it would have increased people that were increased the number of people that were going to be in the habitat for the greenback cutthroat trout. So we had to put our trail on hold while that whole NEPA process happened uh, through, through Bear Creek. Some of the things you've got to do in making a trail like that, we needed, you know, utilities is a landowner, but they don't, they, they did, they do have a process and an agreement for recreation, but they don't really have any staff or any way to manage that. So we had to work with Colorado Springs Parks Department, who was sort of doing the recreational interface for utilities. So that's, you know, sort of two different agencies that we had to deal with. Um, and then it's all surrounded by Forest Service. And then when, you know, when the fish thing came up now, you know, you have to deal with uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, so we're up to four here <clears throat> or five. Uh huh. And then this was really, this is the best part because we're crossing the cog. We had to deal with the state railway board oh. and they wanted us to put the, uh, you know, the, the rising So this, this train that's Level coming at crossing. you. Yeah. Yeah. At, at grade crossing. Um, if, for a train that's sort of walking pace and, and there's like how many people crossing it per day. So we managed <laughs> to get a, a waiver for that. Um, every time you cross a, a, a waterway, even a, an ephemeral stream, you need to get a, it's called a, a state, I think it's the state 404 permit. So there's a, an army corps um, water permit. So we had to engage with a, a um, civil engineer to help develop the, the, approval documents to to get over the waterways so how many of those are there on that trail in those four miles i think there were eight of them oh my gosh um and was it a separate approval for each no i think we we were able to batch them all in together and then some of the bigger ones we put some bridges on okay um, yeah but you know there's there's a couple of little drainages that flow sometimes and we had to to make some assessments of those oh um, my gosh and you know we we all said at the end of that project, we were just completely worn out and wrung out and, and nobody in their right mind would ever take on a project like that on a volunteer basis. Um, it, we, you know, we didn't know that there were planning grants available and we could have probably got a planning grant and maybe hired somebody to do some of the project management. Um, we didn't really know. We were just a bunch of real, you know, trail, passionate trail people and, and, yeah. uh, like, hey, we're just going to keep pushing to, to try to get this through. Um, what kept the drive alive in that? Because that sounds like a phenomenal amount of work over an incredible amount of time. At some point, you probably had to feel like, all right, th this isn't really worth it. We could just go ride this 
and not tell anyone? <laughs> like what kept yeah. the drive alive to bring that project to fruition? Um, I mean, well, I guess it was partly because we were doing a lot of scouting. So, um, <laughs> I mean, it just is the right thing to do. It's just such a perfect connection. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. We, we were just all real into it. <laughs> so it does open up so many possibilities for incredible adventure rides. Yeah. The loops, um, I guess, you know, I'll come back. It's my standard answer for me. It's the people like I just really enjoyed working with those people that were so passionate. And when, um, <clears throat> when, when you've got a, a chance to, to collaborate on a volunteer basis with people that you like on something that you care about. And it just, it's, it's really for me and most, most people I talk to, it is so fulfilling to build trails that you get to ride. Mm. It, oh yeah. It, um, it makes the world right. You know, the trails give us so much, the chance to give back to the trails is, uh, it's really important to a lot of people. And, and that's where I was with it. Well, anyone, myself included, who has ever put a tire to the dirt up there or a, or your face to the dirt, which I've done both, <laughs> we're all incredibly grateful for the work that you guys did up there. So thank you on behalf of all of us for the tenacity to keep that project going. Well, great. And I'll, uh, you know, it's, I'll, I'll say, Hey, you're welcome. But really it's the team. We, we've just got an amazing team of volunteers at Medicine Wheel. So um, on behalf of the organization, we're, we're very pleased to have been able to do it. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm, I am personally grateful as well. I think that section of trail is one of the best gems on the front range. You, nice. just, you guys just did such an amazing job at putting it all together and it flows so well. And it's just, the scenery is incredible. And the kind of experiences you can have up there, it, it's bar none, like it hard to compete with. Yeah. And bar none. Hey. <laughs> don't, don't tell this secret to the cog, but we're still working on trying to get uh, bike racks on the cog. Oh, and it's just going to yeah. really yes. open up oh. more, more ways. And, and it's, you know, it's going to be money in the bank for them too. So take that Palisade plunge. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but I would say that, yeah. that, that one is, so that one's definitely atypical, but, um, maybe we, I could talk a little bit about the, the processes around like our city parks, mm -hmm. um, and the way trails get developed there. So, uh, th this is actually a really great success that Medicine Wheel had in 2014. That's when the city uh, had a public process for a system-wide parks master plan. So that's a document that says, you know, hey, what kind of community do we want to be? What kind of opportunities do we want to have? What are our constraints? Um, and we we did a great job in that process of really getting a lot of people out to the public meetings. And as a result, in the master plan, it references new uh, new and emerging forms of recreation, including gravity-driven biking. And so, and it, and it mentions the concept of a world-class bike park. And so you want to talk about another long process, we could start talking about the Pikeview Quarry. Ooh, um, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> oh, I'm so interested. <laughs> but, but sticking with, with that master plan, so that was 2014, we got it in writing that within our community, we do want to have um, those kind of riding opportunities. And I remember... I think it was in 2013, there was a, a non-system trail that was cut in Garden of the Gods. Uh, so people were shuttling off uh, Rampart Road. The trail was called Bird Flu. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking with some park staff and they, we, you know, it became an issue. And, and you know, Garden of the Gods is, is a little bit of a high profile place. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not the place to be doing uh, I illegal shuttles, right? And uh, just before we get too far, the term system trail mm -hmm. refers to... An approved master plan trail. Yeah, sorry, I, I skipped over no, that. No but, um, 
Um, yeah, but basically on all public lands, our goal is to try to get trails officially recognized and adopted into into the system. And so that's a system trail. Mm -hmm. And this trail in Garden of the Gods was a non-system trail. And that was so that in that was 2013 before this master plan. And the statement from park staff is how well, first of all, they they couldn't understand it. They're like, well, what's going on? It looks like they're started, but they didn't quite finish. I'm like, you don't understand how how some people are riding. Like, yes, they are gapping these these, you know, oh, these giant jumps like and park staff thought it was just an incomplete chunk of the trail. They didn't realize it was a gap jump. Couldn't quite figure out what was going on. And and but surely nobody would ever want to do that. And just sort of, the you know, the comprehension that that is actually a, a strong desire. And the terrain is so perfect for it. Like, yeah, um, and you look up and down the front range and the success of, you know, bike parks like Valmont. And there's there's all kinds of examples of places where those kind of riding experiences exist. And it was just sort of like, it wasn't on the radar. So it was really great that the next year was when there was the system master plan. And that's when we were able to get the the desire for those written down. Mm -hmm. And then the first master plan, the first individual park master plan that happened after that was Ute Valley. And so despite the fact that there isn't a whole lot of terrain in Ute Valley, we fought really hard to get some downhill single direction mountain bike trails you know, we, we pointed at the system master plan and said, look, we know we want this. Here's a place where we, where we could have such an amenity. And that's, so that's the dojo area now and the, uh, and the two, the rattle rocks and almond butter trails yeah. in Ute Valley. So those are a result of the master plan process in Ute Valley. So this, we're maybe going to take a slight detour here. Cause this is just a personal question that I've, it's been fascinating to me and I really want to know. One of the things that often happens when trail gets built here or anywhere, here in the Springs or anywhere, is that you might have somebody's old, kind of dirty, probably eroded out, you know, it was not built for bikes, it doesn't have flow, it mm -hmm. might have been a little chunky, the people who like technical riding loved it, and then the new build is usually, at least on the first day, feels a lot more mellow. How do you make decisions about deliberately introducing risk and challenge in your trail building like rattle rocks has a couple of points where if you're not paying attention you could get seriously hurt like there's no warning there's no heads up there's no hey pay attention to this next corner so how does that process work when you guys examine a trail and say there was this old dodgy sketchy trail that was probably pretty challenging could have hurt somebody we're gonna go ahead and build something else but we're gonna make it tough yeah how do you make it tough without making it too dangerous Boy, that is the secret sauce, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking to the uh, Codell Trail, which is mm -hmm. in, in Red Rocks, another trail that that we constructed, and it's really, you know, it's the evil genius of some of our trail designers, and and especially in that case, Harry Hamill, because um, I know a couple of people who've fallen off the side of Codell. It's some pretty inconvenient places. <laughs> you too? Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> I've, I've fallen off there. Um, <laughs> you know, I think the sort of the philosophy that that we take when we're looking at you know, really, it, the main thing is in our soils, we have to control water mm -hmm. is the absolute number one priority when we are working on the design of a trail is, is the highly erosive soil. How are we going to control water in places where you're, you'll be channeling water onto the trail. You have to, you have to armor it. Otherwise the trail will degrade and change over time. And then there's a whole nother rabbit hole we can go down about like, Maybe that's okay. I mean, you know, the, the old Daniels trail was kind of like that for, 
yeah. 15 years that I was riding it. And, um, you know, it's different every time and it's got different challenges. It's would, it's classified as, as not a sustainable trail. Um, and, and land managers have a responsibility to consider sustainability, but you know, is there, is there some balance somewhere like, can, you know, can we have some trails that we just accept that we're going to have to do regular maintenance on? Um, that's sort of a, a whole nother, uh, philosophic point that we're, you know, we're not, we're not at that point in, in our, most of our land managers here. Mm -hmm. Um, so getting back to, yeah. So how do you, how do you take that and then include the, the technical features? I mean, it comes from experience riding and, you know, having seen things and built building things that you think you can't ride. Um, yeah. Because you think about all of the, like those really challenging undeveloped trails that have that wild feel. I mean, you'd never build it that way. You, right. You have to learn to do moves that you couldn't have even thought of just because, because it's dictated by the terrain. Um, how can you be imaginative? What kind of materials do you bring in to create those kind of experiences? Um, yeah, that's, that's the trick. It's actually not that hard to build sustainable trail. Right. There's this physics, you can have outslope, you have your, your water mm -hmm. grade reversal and everything, but to build trails that are both sustainable and really fun to ride, that's the trick. And, you know, that's why professional trail building crews are really making a lot of money right now. If, if you're, if you can see that and implement that vision, um, there's a good market for that right now. And I believe that, you know, that, that we, Medicine Wheel, we've worked on a whole range of trails, but I am really proud of the, um, the technical features of certain trails that, that we've been involved in. You know, you guys probably know the, the shoots trail was mm -hmm. done mostly with, um, you know, there were, there was funding for that project, but we, we brought some money to the table so that we could add extra technical features. Um, not everybody knows this, but there's a, before the first, uh, hard, um, right-hander you can, you can drop off to the right and go down through yeah. a, a rock garden. And so that was a additional feature that we wanted to add in there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the city was going to put in a trail we brought in some more money so that we could add that technical experience. And then in that case, that was, that was really designed and implemented. We said the trail should be here and it should be a rock garden like this. Um, I remember, uh, I, I referenced, uh, the cowboy up trail up at Keystone. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was the instructions I gave to Flowride is like, you know, try to make it like that. And, yeah. uh, I think they did a pretty good job. Of that. <laughs> yeah. oh, that rock trail is phenomenal. The trail is amazing. That rock garden is fantastic. And I remember the first time I discovered it after you guys put that trail in there, and I had ridden it a few times and then looked to my right all of a sudden. I was like, wait a minute. Well, it's That's easy a to miss it because you, you, you're on a rollover and, and you're, yeah. you're concentrating on that. Not that dying, line, yeah. So. Rollover uh, or uh, air out. Yeah, depending. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you get yeah. that out. Right, right. Yeah, you, once you get to know it, you hit it at speed and you'd never, you'd never see that connection. No. Yeah. So how, how do you do that without being completely layered 20 feet deep in lawyers? Um, well, you know, in... in there, there are some protections, especially on public land in Colorado. Um, so we, yeah, we, we don't actually have responsibility for, um, <laughs> yeah, we build it and somebody can get hurt. I, I, I don't know. It's, we've got, we've got standard, um, you know, standard in insurance and in Colorado, the way, the way the uh, liability system works, it, it's not an issue for us unless That's you great. were like grossly negligent. Yeah. So you guys like built a gap onto a road <laughs> full yeah. of cars or something stupid yeah or, or open a trail that wasn't finished or yeah um so yeah we just uh you know build it we always say build it harder and narrower than than you think is possible and um 
that's sort of the goal and you can never quite get there. But Codell is a good example of of Mm -hmm. what we're trying to achieve and just make it crazier and harder. How do you balance the needs of experienced riders who want really challenging trail, either whether it's gravity fed or whatever, with the needs of newer, younger riders who need essentially a call it a spectrum of trail available so that you can have steady progression in your sport. Yeah. That's a, that's the million dollar question. I think, um, you know, and I, I, I kind of, I think about it in terms of sort of like riding pro riding products. Also, um, when I was working at SRAM, we would always talk about the halo projects, the halo products that were the very top end that, uh, you know, you you can you can sell them for good money. You're giving them a lot of a lot of them away to pro athletes, but that halo effect draws up the the, the whole rest of the brand. And I firmly believe that with the terrain that we've got here, um, we've got a an opportunity and an obligation to create those halo trails. So the trails that do appeal to the the higher level, the higher capability rider, and that's what is is going to define our community as a great mountain biking community, right? Like we've We've already got a huge network of trails and a great riding season. Um, it's it's always way more work to make steep downhill trails or or those more technical trails, and they they do appeal to a smaller number of riders. But that's what really is is building the community, is building the um, it builds the brand of our community uh, as a great place to ride. So even though the the overall numbers of riders there's way more beginner and intermediate riders and we need to provide places for them to ride those are kind of the easier uh the easier things for us to achieve and then we work really hard in the master plan process every every time we go into a park master plan we pull out that 2014 plan and say look there we've acknowledged we need to have these kind of opportunities let's go build some harder trails and so you know, that's how, um, you know, we're in the, the most recent master plan that was approved is the Austin Bluffs master plan. And you probably know that we've got uh, a downhill trail that we're working on uh, that's coming off of Pulpit Rock. I've heard about this. Yeah. Again, not super long, but th- this is our chance. We're going to build it like a really, really good downhill trail. I hope I'm too scared to ride it. That's what, that's what we're aiming mm-hmm. for is, yeah. is that really, um, that halo trail. And we cannot put those trails everywhere. But we need to be consistently working to to include them in our system every chance that we get. Mm-hmm. I am eagerly anticipating that. I mean, that's in our backyard. It's, yeah, yeah. Here at the Blanket Fort, it's yes. r- literally right around the corner. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're pretty excited about that one. Um, I would love to pick your brain, but the difference, if there is one, between say improving or changing trail in a distinct park. Like here in the Springs, that would be Ute Valley or Palmer Park, where you have a closed system versus some of these other larger, more wide ranging network style trails that link larger spans of territory. Yeah. So you mean in terms of which is our priority or just talk a little bit about what those two processes are like, because I think some people might not realize, like, again, when you're dealing with Palmer, you're dealing with a limited number of land managers and a limited number of agencies you've got to talk to versus right. crossing 
many different types of land and roads and rails and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, so those iconic connections like the Lake Moraine trail, Mm -hmm. those are the ones that you like are dreaming about and are the ones that take much longer because of multiple landowners. And you know, the, the, the ring, the peak project is underway and that's completely the challenge there is the more land managers you, you have to deal with, um, the more complicated it gets Mm -hmm. in within the city park system. I'm pretty pleased with the the way the public processes are run. Um, a, a a master plan process is is initiated. They've got facilitators. We are always brought in early as a stakeholder to talk about sort of general these. This is what we're seeing in this park, and then we throughout the public process we really encourage people to to show up and and state their preferences. When it gets to the public meetings, we actually step back a little bit. We we try to give people information and encourage people to show up. And then we say, now you, you go out and have your voice. We, we try to use our voice sort of in those smaller meetings beforehand. And sometimes there's some, some tough negotiating that happens not at the public meetings. And at the public meetings, our role is to just encourage as many people as possible to come out and, and state their preferences. That's pretty straightforward. The city parks mm-hmm. master plans, you know, we've done, we've been through, I don't know, at least a half dozen of them. We know how they work. You're not going to get everything you want. You have to dream big, think of the vision, really try to collect a lot of input and then understand what are uh, some compromises that you're willing to make. You know, we can't demand what we want, but we can talk about ways that we can balance conservation and our desire for inspiring trails, especially mountain bike trails, as well as the other uses in that in that space. And when it's one entity, it's, and, and especially city parks like, you know, we, we have our, our tension and struggle with them, but they really are our best partner. Um, they understand the need and are looking for opportunities to, to put in more, more trails that are good for riding. Um, so we're starting from a pretty good spot, but you know, like Austin Bluffs, there is, there is a network of, you know, uh, dozens of miles of trail. There's going to be a lot of trail closures in Austin Bluffs. Mm-hmm. Because it because the the scattered trail network doesn't support the resource. Yeah, and this might be a good segue into one thing, and we can cut this if it doesn't work, uh, or if this isn't a good subject to talk about. But we talk a lot about trail building, yeah. but trail closure is a part of land management as well. Mm-hmm. And I would love to pick your brain if you're willing to share about one trail in particular, because this might be instructive. Is the closure of a trail here in the springs that was known as Sesame? Sesame Canyon. Yeah, Sesame mm. Canyon. Yeah. So for those who don't know, if you've ever ridden the springs or you know it a little bit, off of Captain Jack's, which is kind of one of our headliner trails here in the springs, there was a, what some of us anyway might have said, a wonderful, beautiful, excellent, dirty, kind of scary, a little bit sketchy in places trail that not too many people knew about, but everybody who rode it loved it. And it's now no longer a trail we can ride. Yeah. So Sesame Canyon was closed as part of the NEPA study that was done for the Greenback Cutthroat Trout. Our, our, uh, NEPA stands for? The National Environmental Protection Aid Act. No, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's a federal process that um, BLM or Forest Service would have to follow to make decisions about, about land use. Um, and I will say, you know, I... I wish I wish we could go back in time and fight harder for Sesame um, through that uh, through that NEPA process. the The situation with 
sesame is the top of it, I believe, I think it was the top was on private property. Mm-hmm. And therefore the forest service was unable to con- consider any part of it as, as a system trail. And the, it, it is, it is a little bit of a, of a tricky situation. When we were involved with that process, our number one concern, and remember we were an all volunteer organization at the time with, you know, limited capacity. And yet we were going to all these meetings. Our number one priority was trying to find a way that we could uh, maintain a connection through Jones Park so that we could complete the Lake Moraine Trail. Yeah. Sesame was right from the start was listed as a trail that was not that that they didn't want to keep in in the process. And it was partly because of private property. And then the other, you know, the other statement is that the sedimentation, because the trail is sort of in a drainage, it's increasing sedimentation. But the problem is the trail also finished on the other side of the of high drive from the actual creek. So it's pretty hard to say that sedimentation from sesame was causing more harm to fish than the road. I've always mm-hmm. wondered about that. Um, and, you know, it was, it, it was a trail that was, had never been fully recognized and yet was being used. Mm-hmm. It was one of many things that were of concern in that drainage. And, you know, the, uh, the section six, the Palmer trail and section 16 on the other side of the road were also part of that discussion and, and other, other trails in that area. Um, that was one that, you know, we, we're not able to fight to save during that NEPA process. And now that that, that decision has been made, it, it's nearly impossible to revisit that. Um, I will say throughout that NEPA process, and I'm, I'm not saying anything that the, my partners at the Forest Service don't know, I, throughout the entire process, I've been very concerned that w- there is a lack of data that connects trails and trail use to the habitat and the and the health of the fish populations and you know we always said we recognize the need to be conservative we 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 have to be extra careful but we have to err mm-hmm. on the side of caution you can't say oh gosh yeah we shouldn't have put that trail there cuz it killed the fish like you don't want that situation right but just the idea that any trail is going to kill fish and and you know like th- there needs to be more science that actually connects the the human activity to the impact on the the wildlife there. And I've been saying that throughout the NEPA process, and you might know that uh, there's a a big portion of Jones Park was transferred from uh, utilities to the county. And now El Paso County, there is a draft of a new Jones Park master plan. And so we are still negotiating heavily on the Jones Park master plan. Oh, wow. Um, And and that is, that's the, the, point I've been making in some of these meetings is, Hey, we're not here. We're not here to kill fish. We want it. We, we believe in, in biodiversity. We believe in, in conservation, but we want to have better data that better shows what we can and can't do because, um, it's, it's just not black and white to say, Hey, we can't have any trails in this area. And it, it sounds like for those of us who are riders, the big takeaway here is to remember that these things are negotiations and oftentimes you have to give up some things you want to get something else you're looking for. Yep. You have, you have to understand where compromises might be able to be made. And I guess and I'll, I'll share for me a, a thing I've really learned as I've transitioned from a volunteer advocate to a paid uh, director. It is part of my job 
to make sure that we maintain good relationships with these land managers in the long run. So um, it happens often that people come up to me and say, oh, well, why did you give up on that? You know what? I'm going to go and tell the mayor what I think and pound on the table. In, in order to, to build a working relationship with these land managers, you have to show up first as a solution provider and being willing to listen and um, being willing to recognize when, when compromises can be made. You know, do we always play that exactly right? Well, that's a matter of opinion. Mm -hmm. um, different styles and, and uh, ways of negotiating. I think um, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the way that we negotiate. You know, I always say um, um, disagree, disagree polite, politely. Mm -hmm. um, respectful, firm, but respectful. Um, it, it really doesn't serve us in the long run to throw a tantrum. You, you have to learn how to make your point articulately and, and build, build some kind of trust with land managers. So, um, so you can have a chance to, to collaborate. So it is really, a, it's a negotiation. It's, it's a tricky dance sometimes. And, um, th there's a range of approaches and, you know, I, I, I like our collaborative approach. Some people probably think we give up too easily. You know, people don't really see the hours that are spent in some of these these meetings collecting information and trying to negotiate. That's okay. We're, we're doing our best. I think we're making some good progress, um, but there's a balance. Yeah. It sounds like you have developed quite a vast amount of experience in, in negotiation in general. And you, this, this is something that I'm learning a lot about, just how how you can live more beneficially and meaningfully with people who disagree with you. And there's a lot of wisdom that you just threw down that I would love to spread out and share in different ways. And, you know, whether it be trail advocacy or your neighbor's fence project or, <laughs> right. or war, <laughs> yeah. know, there's a lot to be learned from, from what you just said. You know, I, th I think I've, I've, there's a lot to be learned and I've learned a lot of it from our organization. I think Medicine Wheel from its inception was, um, you know, had a focus on uh, trail sharing information, has a long history of working with equestrians and, and uh, CMTRA, the motorized rider group, mm -hmm. um, taking a collaborative approach, understanding that, you know, you walk into these negotiations. I'm, I'm not an advocate necessarily for motorized use, but guess what? Where motor, motorcycles are allowed, we, we've got 95% of our values are exactly overlapping. And so to be able to see people as human, um, to find out what people's values are, find out where your values overlap and find things that you can collaborate on and then agree to disagree respectfully on things that, that you don't agree on. It's, it's the way I have to operate my, my work and it's a good way to live, I think. So my approach with, with any land manager or partner negotiation is I legitimately try to find something I really like about everybody I work with. I don't have to like love the person, but I, I try to find, um, you know, form a personal connection and find something I like about people. And there's always something, there's always yeah. something to like about everybody. This yeah. is very true. And, uh, there's always something to like about every project you guys have been able to bring us, even if some people are sad, like, and I think that's probably part of the lesson is what you see on the first day or what you might take away as a first impression of a person or a trail is maybe not the thing that you're going to see later on after you've been working with it for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in, in a physical sense, and we were talking about this on the, the Sweetwater trail system, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that trail was cut with a, a four foot or maybe three foot blade. Uh, but the trail is going to, to, uh, narrow up. So, mm -hmm. you know, when, when you first build, when you first build a trail like that, um, 
it it might look like a, a wider superhighway. We, we've had some some criticism of that trail system, and uh, I understand that. I think it is going to improve over time. Yeah. Um. You know, especially now we've got some moisture on it, we'll have a chance to do some tune-ups on it. I think in the next couple of years, the, that trail is going to get better and better. And this is this is a great segue into. I wanted to just ask you, other than that particular thing which you mentioned when you and I rode Sweetwater last fall, that fact that what it looks like on day one is not the trail you're going to have six months or two years or 10 years from now. But what do you wish your average rider knew about trail projects? Like, just give us two or three. Um, I wish they knew our website and could come, come out and uh, <laughs> donate and volunteer. Hey, um, that's a good plug. I think, you know, I think, well, I guess the, 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 the very best thing that I would like riders to bear in mind is all of us are out there on the trails because of how great it feels to be on trails. We're all out there to get our healing. And I see so many people who are like flustered and showing up at a trailhead and they're so focused on their experience. Like, you know, they're, it's like they're almost, they're almost angry out of the gate. Like they're just mm. so ready to charge. And I think that's part of the nature of our sport and how we push, push ourselves and like, I'm ready to go and, and you have to kind of mentally get into that. But the idea that these are public spaces that we've got to share with other users and they, they're going to be using it in different ways than you are. And yet if we could, if we all show up with a smile at the trailhead and just interact positively and recognize that people are there to be happy and, and to be connected with the, the trail system, um, that would make a huge impact on trail conflicts and, you know, effectively would increase the capacity of our trail system. If we can reduce trail conflicts, it means there's more trail to go around and I, I really think that's, that's possible, you know, put, mm-hmm. put your Strava away. It's, it's not a closed course. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not a, it's not a race. Um, yeah. you were, you know, I, I know that that's a hard, a hard thing to push, but, um, that, that would be the biggest message I would like to give is, you know, show up happy, um, smile at fellow trail users. That, yeah. that would really go a long way to improve and, and we, we have it pretty good. I don't, I, we don't have a terrible reputation as a user group. Mm-mm. But it's not perfect, and and I do get a lot of criticism, especially from a lot of land managers, about illegal trail use as well as trail behavior. And it's you know it's that sad fact that you get one or two bad experiences, and that colors your impression of a of a whole user group. So that's out there. I mean, you know, so so think about how you're representing all mountain bikers when you are out there on a mountain bike. And this is something that I feel pretty strongly. I've talked about it on the show before. Anybody who knows me has heard me put a rant about this. Um, as more riders enter the sport and more of those riders enter our town and our trails get more and more crowded, it feels like I've heard more of that sort of attitude of entitlement that you're describing, especially in certain places. Like, I think it was really, really great that we were able to get shoots as a downhill trail, a downhill only mountain bike only trail. I know that I had some very close calls in there over the years before it was changed where, you know, you'd you just end up in the trees because you'd come around a corner and there's a family of five and a dog and you have no choice because you're not going to hit them. So you're just heading into the bushes and that's, you know, it's not ideal, but I now hear many riders on certain trails like nachos in particular in Ute, for those who know that line where they act like it's already a directional trail course, and it's really not. Yeah. yeah. Let me give another really good example. The lion trail in, yeah. in uh, Red Rock Canyon. Um, <clears throat> I consider a real, uh, success of, of our advocacy. So that trail was in the master plan. Uh, the, the bottom of it had some issues 
and there was some unsustainable sections. And so they closed, they, that there was a few groups and it was supported by uh, city parks. That trail was closed. So mm-hmm. throughout several years of, of pushing back and fighting and saying, Hey, no, look, it's here in the master plan and walkthroughs. We were able to get that the, the master plan trail built. That is a multi-use multi-direction trail for a multi-use multi-direction trail. It's an awesome downhill, but yeah, it is not sure a is. closed course downhill trail. And you know, we as users have a responsibility to ride trails with, with other users in mind. And that means you cannot ride that trail as if it's closed course downhill. And people say to me, well, what do you mean? Like, it's perfect for that. Like just because a trail points downhill, it doesn't mean you have the right to treat it like a closed course. It, it's impacting, it's impacting the sport and the community. And, um, you know, there, there's, there's some responsibility that that's got to be had there. So a lot of people have said, well, you, Madison, well, you totally screwed it up. You built that trail wrong. It, you know, why would you build it so fun if it's a multi-use, multi-direction trail? Well, you know, if you ride carefully, it's great. It's a great experience. I think that is a, yeah. that, that is a win for a trail of that style, but you just can't pretend it's, it's something it isn't. And I mean, I guess you can go buy a Porsche, but that doesn't give you the right to drive at 120 on the highway. <laughs> it's still fun to have. Yeah. Close course. Go for it. But yeah. out on, on public roads, you know, we're, we are sharing these spaces. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, well, there's a, there's a project you mentioned earlier that I'm, I'm really interested in hearing a little bit more about is the dedicated downhill park. Yeah. It's, it's, there's been talk of it for years and there's been just some back and forth. And is there, is there anything that you can discuss in the midst of that project right now? Yeah. Pikeview quarry. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, um, Pikeview quarry located on the North side of town here up, up below Blodgett peak. Um, the city has purchased the land surrounding the quarry. It's called the Pikeview frontage property. Um, so it was that the, the Pikeview frontage was purchased with the, the Manitou black Canyon quarry, the, the entire quarry together for about $10 million, uh, a couple of years ago. Now the Pikeview quarry itself is still owned by, and I forget the name of the company. Now there's, there's been a couple of different sort of owners, but the, basically the, the quarry company still owns that. And the, the deal that's set up is that when the reclamation process is finished according to the state regulations and it's signed off by the state that property will be offered as a donation to the city and the city has an option to reject it if they don't want it for some reason and and i think the the idea is what if the reclamation doesn't go the way we want or something bad happens but what i think is funny about that is if the city doesn't accept it it's not like the quarry is going away it's still going to be there yeah um but it i guess it would mean you know, if the city didn't want to take it, then they wouldn't have the liability, any remaining liabilities related mm-hmm. to environmental issues. So, so that's, um, uh, uh, and beyond that, the, the master plan, the 2014 master plan says, Hey, we should, we should build a bike park like Valmont or a world-class bike park. That's, that's noted as a need in our community. And it's widely accepted that the Pikeview quarry would be the most, um, if, if we can get it, will be a really fantastic place for that. And I should mention, it won't be just a downhill. Um, I mean, obviously, it's going to have some amazing downhill mm-hmm. lines, but the, you know, it's envisioning to be a whole family center with like, um, you know, rentals and 
um, cross country and and dual slalom and maybe a cyclocross course. And, oh yeah! Oh um, my gosh! <laughs> there was talk about a uh, you know a, a really big dog park and a drone course. So, so there's a lot of things that could happen with that property. Um, but the in, it's envisioned that there will be a world class bike park, and the El Pomar Foundation has made a commitment to give a million dollars over 10 years towards maintenance and operation of such a park once it's built. Um, so we got to make sure that that, that money is still sitting in an account somewhere for us, but yeah. Um, yeah. So the prospects are really, really good. And it's, it's really will be a game changer for our community um, when we're able to do that and, and make, and additionally make connections to the rest of the trail system. So you'll like ride in, go ride a couple of laps uh, and then you can continue on your, your looping system of, of all the parks um, so what's happening right now, actually just this month, the, the concrete company has begun to break ground on the reclamation, um, plan. So they were doing a bunch of vegetation moving. They've got their reclamation plan approved by the state. So the plan's approved and now they're starting to implement it as a, a contractor called Stantec is going to be implementing that. And they're quite experienced with the reclamation process. There is... Of course, some uncertainty. You don't know exactly what it's like to reclaim a quarry. So, but the thought is, it's probably going to take two or three years to move all the dirt to all the places that it needs to be, and then at least a season of uh, revegetation before we would, before the determination would be made to accept the property, mm-hmm. and then the final, um, you know, the, the, there will be a master plan for just that space, and uh, that's when we'll get into actually shaping. For the bike park so it's it's one of those things it's one of those long game things and and some people some people have said hey i haven't heard anything i assume that that quarry is no longer happening it's very much still happening the reclamation is has just started now and um we're probably like about four ish years from being able to ride there there's oh, man. still time for mountain bikers to get real estate over in that neighborhood yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> gonna go way up so yeah go yeah. go yeah. get your go place get next now. to the bike park <laughs> wow. Good to know that that's still happening. Yeah. Yeah. We're still really excited about that. And, and then, you know, how is it going to be operated? It'll probably be some kind of a private operator. Um, this city today does not have resources to operate a facility like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, compared with Valmont, I think last I, I had heard at Valmont, they've got at least three full-time people whose job it is just to take care of Valmont. We're, we're not going to have that for a facility, like, especially if it's, if it's like free and open to the public. Mm-hmm. So it's likely this will be a, you know, well, we don't know how it's going to be managed. And I probably, I probably shouldn't say there's a whole range of ways that, that could, that could be uh, sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got some, the do- donation that from El Pomar that will operate it, but uh, I don't really know what the costs are going to be like. And um, a lot of work to be done to, to say exactly what it, it's going to look like, but it's going to be amazing. I'm, I'm grateful for that long-term vision. And just, I mean, we've seen how that's come through with trails like Lake Moraine and how 20 years in the making. I mean, if, if you're easily distracted or you don't see that long-term vision, then it, it can be easy to get caught up in like, ah, oh, this trail that I love, it's not here. And uh, this other trail is okay. And, and then two years later, it's better and better and better and better having the foresight to plan ahead and try and establish big projects that are going to make this place incredible for years to come is such a necessity. 
Yeah. Thank you. You need you need vi- vision and a good amount of stubbornness. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say to other communities who are in possession of great land but maybe don't have a great trail network? Other than vision and stubbornness, what does it take to really build a good trail network? Uh, for sure, I'll say collaboration. So, um, you know, there's going to be people that are opposed to trail trail networks, go out and meet them, find out what their concerns are, find out how their concerns can be, you know, heard, heard and accommodated. Um, collaboration and compromise is needed. I mean, I guess it does depend on the type of community. I'm, I'm actually going to be going out to Bentonville at the end of this month um, to be doing some riding. And there's a, a professional trail builders association uh, summit up there. So good place for a conference. Yeah. Um, in Bentonville, it's like basically all private land and they've got like, they've got trail trail building machines stashed all around and if something needs work they'll just drive out oh hey there's a bit of extra space and ah, why don't we throw in a little pump track here mm-hmm. they, they they've got private land that's basically they've got approvals and um and tons of money to throw at it every community is a little bit different um here we're really you know it, it's always a double-edged sword but there's a lot of uh u.s forest uh property here and so that has its um its opportunities and its drawbacks. We in Colorado Springs have a fantastic parks department that understands the need and is willing to accommodate um, a balanced inclusion of mountain bike trails. And we're really, really lucky for that. We're very lucky that we've got the tops tax. That's Mm -hmm. a 0.1% sales tax. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, that's what was the fund that was used to purchase those quarry properties and also the Fisher's Canyon. Yeah. Uh, That's another great long, that's that, Chamberlain Trail long-term project that's just mm. going to be amazing. Can you talk about the Chamberlain Trail? Yeah, Cham- Chamberlain is basically envisioned to go from Blodgett to um, Cheyenne Mountain State Park. Um, so <laughs> This is insane. For yeah. anyone who doesn't understand the geography of the Front Range, this might be lost on you. But for those of us who've been riding here in all the different little parks in the Springs, to think of the one trail to connect them all, yeah. this is pretty fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're going to be doing some changes in, in Red Rocks to, to, uh, further establish the Chamberlain trail through there. We did in, in Stratton several years ago, it was a medicine wheel project to, to extend the Chamberlain trail around some of the reservoirs Mm -hmm. and, and, um, we've seen it, you know, the strawberry fields, uh, property has got a section of the Chamberlain there and it will, you know, there's, there's a few more pieces, like we got to get through the zoo. We got to get through NORAD. But the Fisher's Canyon is a is an important part of that that Chamberlain connection. Because how long will this be when it's all said and done? Like, I don't know. I'm not sure, but it's got to be like 20 miles or something. You know, yeah, like it's like all, 20, 25 miles all in, all along all along the Front Range. Oh my um, gosh! <laughs> there's a big there's also a big gap at um, Flying W Ranch, mm-hmm. and so you know the long game. someday someday we're gonna get get that trail all the way through. That's so exciting to hear. And a great example of why it would take so long with everything you just mentioned, those three land holes right there, the zoo, the U.S. military in one of its most hardened facilities we have yeah, anywhere. Yeah, not going to be an easy one. No, I cannot <laughs> imagine. And Flying W, who may not care to let us across. Yeah, I, I hope we can make the case to all of those land land managers of, you know, we always say that you can either manage the the trails or have the trails manage you like if you if we can put trails into places it actually will protect the resource and and encourage stewardship and encourage connection and encourages res- i think it does encourage respective users so obviously 
you know, you mentioned there's, there's sometimes there's people that are newer to the sport and maybe don't have some of the respect for the amount of work it takes to, to get access to these trails. Yeah. Well, that's our job is to help explain that and to try to, to show how important it is and why it's so important that we act as good stewards of our trails. Yeah. Um, and then, and then when, you know, when we walk into those meetings and we can say, look, we, we've got something we can bring to you that is a benefit. Um, I don't, I don't know what flying W what that negotiation is going to look like, but I do believe, I really honestly believe that it's a community benefit to have a trail like the Chamberlain trail. And, and I hope that we can make that case and, and have them understand that. Yeah. So this one might come off like a softball, but we brought this up when we were talking to Micah Rice a while back and it was, you know, I posited to him that with so many more people coming to this town and to riding in general and the possibility that the Springs, which has been a little off many people's radar, could begin to get even more well-known as a mountain biking destination. The worst thing we could do is not plan for that increased capacity and increased ridership over time. How does that strike you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for, for the reasons you mentioned and also because of the nature of how of all the, you know, the, the processes that you have to go through to, to get new trails, we are always working on long-term projects. Um, you know, I, I attend every, every month I attend like the tops working committee and the parks board and the county parks board and, um, the Manitou OSAC committee. There's, there's all these, um, groups that are making decisions about land use. And it's really important that we've got someone that's listening and paying attention. A lot of times you won't see something on the agenda. You'd look at the agenda and say, oh, there's really nothing that uh, applicable to mountain biking there. I go to those meetings every month because without fail, there is something that I hear or pick up that's not on the agenda that is a connection or a key or a link to some other project. Um, or I get a chance to have a conversation with somebody that, you know, will later come back and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm interested in some trail opportunities in this other place. So um, sometimes we, we were tempted sometimes to say, okay, where are the most important trails? Where do people want to ride? Where should we focus our efforts? And, you know, like Red Rocks and Ute mm -hmm. and Palmer and like the, the, um, the main parks are the places where mountain biking is today. We've got, you know, at any time, at least like three dozen different trail projects on different properties, big, long spreadsheet of uh, you know, we, we keep a status update. What's going on with this one? What's the next decision mm -hmm. process? Who do we have to get on board? You know, who, who are we, uh, you know, no, no ill will to anyone, but who, who needs to die so their, their uh, kids can take over and we can negotiate with them. To, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally that's, that's the way these, these major trail projects, you know, we have to outlast, uh, the no vote. There's mm -hmm. never a no, it's only not right yet. And, um, you know, just to, to continue to hold that vision and, and just say, well, I'm going to keep coming. I'll be back here again next month asking for that, for that again. And eventually the conditions will be right so that we can move ahead with whatever that project is. Wow. Well, if you, if you find some major funding in Bentonville with the Walton family, you'll know, let them know that they're welcome to donate to our cause out here. That's... We'll be sure to bring that up. I don't know if everyone knows this, but we do have Waltons here as well. Oh, we do. Yeah. Yeah. In Manitou, the, um, like the zip line and uh, those, those, those folks are, are uh, part of the Walton family. And so I did not know that. Oh, well, okay. Connections. Yeah. <laughs> all about the connections and that stubbornness. <laughs> yeah. So for those of us who don't get to do this every single day for a job like you, what do we do to help make sure the future of biking is as bright as the past has been here in the Springs? 
Well, thanks for asking that. Um, I, I'll, I'll go back to my main point is like, show up happy, be smile, smiling and, and, and interact positively with other users. Um, the, pe most people are out there to be happy. And the more that we can uh, um, get along on the trails, the better it is for all of us. Um, more specifically, you know, our organization is a 501c3 nonprofit. We don't receive money from the city or governments. I mean, there's sometimes there are some grants that we can get for certain projects, but we are predominantly an individual and, and business partners funded organization. So, um, you know, if you love trails, think about what that, that means to you and you believe in the expansion of trails, um, please consider making a donation and becoming a member. Uh, additionally, we've got a trail committee. Um, you know, we've got our, our we, we call our volunteer workdays trail love. Um, I think last year we had 24 trail love workdays in total. Um, we're hoping to expand that this year. Um, we're trying to get better at um, um, broadcasting beforehand and setting a schedule far enough in advance. Often we're sort of, you know, scrambling and getting our permissions and things set up. So we're, we're trying to do a little better about um, promoting them. But, you know, keep an eye on our website and our social media um, for opportunities to come out and dig on trails. Um, there is, if you want to get more involved, there is crew leader training that's happening at the end of April, and we always need more crew leaders. Um, it's relatively easy to get people to show up and swing a shovel, but to have, you know, enough people that can direct the crews is always a bottleneck for us. So if anyone's interested in, in crew leader training, that's, uh, it'll be on the, the weekend of April 30th, uh, of 2022 this year. Um, we've got volunteer opportunities. If you don't want to dig in the dirt, but you want to volunteer, we can always use help with social media and website and uh, sitting at the table at events and talking to people, letting people know about the organization. There's all kinds of volunteer uh, opportunities that we've got. And sort of my job is to create great vo volunteer opportunities for people, find out what they're interested in, what they'd like to do. So I'm very committed to working with people to find a, a way for them to volunteer and have them just feel that that really great feeling of creating more trails. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful gift for me to be able to provide that opportunity. And, and people are just so happy when they're like, you, you, you dig on the trail and then every single time you ride that trail in the future, you remember and you have an extra connection to that section of trail. So leverage that passion and uh, come out and volunteer and, and donate to Medicine Wheel. All right. That's awesome. Well, Corey, thank you so, so much for your your time with us and sharing so much of this wisdom and what goes into this amazing place that we get to call home and we're grateful that you're continuing to to venture into these projects and hopefully it will continue to grow and thank you for joining us on it's supa truly my privilege and pleasure and i i did want to reflect back also i just really appreciate what you guys are doing and and the focus on you know like the the community and the fabric that um connects all of us riders uh, it's been really inspiring for me to to listen to a lot of the podcasts, and it's a big honor for me to be here. So thank you for this chance. Awesome. Thanks so much, Corey. Right Looking on, forward to seeing you out there on the trail. You bet. If you want to know more about stand-up pedal action, you can check us out online at supa.bike. That's S-U-P-A dot B-I-K-E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.